The Heat Wave Sports Show is owned and produced by Tim Unglesby. All opinions expressed by the host or guests are their own and are not endorsed by either radio station KRLV Management or any of their advertisers. It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. It's Sunday evening, Las Vegas. Welcome on in. It's Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, 90 FM, 1340 AM. It's Tim Unglesby and a new member of the Heat Wave Sports family. We're going to welcome in Brian to the show. Brian on the other side of the board taking care of business for us. So Brian's first show solo with Heat Wave Sports. As I said, I'm Tim Unglesby and my co-host tonight, back in the saddle, radio personality, good friend of mine, Chris Wynn. Chris, you've been all over the dial this week, and uh, it's good to have you on here for the Sunday night show. Absolutely. It didn't disappoint this week as well, too, because the Major League Baseball season as well as being season of course uh the wnba playoffs as well and uh college football it, it, it's going strong yeah plenty of sports going on plenty of sports in city of las vegas and of course tonight we're going to concentrate on the nfl week four just great games today get you through the end of the week heading into monday night football we're going to touch on the raiders the undefeated raiders as well as they're back on monday night first time since week one win here at home. They'll be in L.A. to take on the Chargers tomorrow. We'll get Chris's thoughts on that, but I kind of want to start the show non-football related because, Chris, we do have the postseason bracket for Major League Baseball, and I want to get your thoughts on some of these games. So we had walk-off today for the Yankees to get in, which sets up, we'll start the American League side of it, by the way, which sets up an incredible one-game wildcard matchup this Tuesday as the Yankees and the Red Sox play Chris Winter take all move on to the next round. Uh, rivalries in Major League Baseball, right, Tim? Uh, what better way to do it on a Tuesday night than, you know, probably the biggest baseball rivalry there is with the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. Of course, the Yankees have to do it in flashy style on a Sunday to, you know, kind of solidify things. They went, all went down. But uh, this New York Yankees season, it was a, a team that, you know, we had dead and bit back when you think about uh, back in July. And then all of a sudden, uh, as July started to roll through into August, it was like, wow, the Yankees uh, are on a tear and are absolutely going to be a playoff team. This, you know, just recently, maybe two, three weeks ago, all of a sudden it was like, oh, there's a chance they might not make the playoffs again. And then, of course, they're in the situation they are now where they're right there on the doorstep and uh, have a chance to actually make a run. So it's uh, interesting to say the least to see this Yankee team down the stretch and uh, throughout the last couple of months. We'll see what happens, though, on Tuesday night because you know, Tim, as well as I do, one-game scenarios for Major League Baseball, there's a lot of crazy things that can go down. Chris Wynn, Tim Unglesby, Heat Wave Sports. Chris, we're going to disconnect you 
and bring you back on. It sounds like we got a little static there, so we're gonna try to clean that connection up. Just, just pipe, uh, pipe back in when you when you get back on, and let me know you're back. We're looking at craziness in Major League Baseball, and that there's two wild card games featuring four teams, three of which, well, one of which, 106 wins. That's the Wednesday matchup in the National League. The Dodgers, 106 wins, and they're playing in a one-game fight for your life situation. Because the Giants, just an incredible season for San Francisco to win that division. And what's funny about the Wednesday game against St. Louis, winner take all, moves on to play? Yes, the Giants. So we could get L.A.-San Francisco in a best of five starting on Friday, I believe. Craziness there. But don't count out St. Louis, Dodger fans, as they went on an unbelievable run in the second half. Left for dead at the All-Star break. And the Cardinals, led by the geriatric crew of Adam Wainwright and John Lester, now put themselves in a one-game situation as well. And that matchup on Wednesday will be Max Scherzer for the Dodgers, who they acquired at the trade deadline from Washington, against Adam Wainwright, who's found the, 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 the cocoon fountain of youth. And if you like the Dodgers, if you're a betting man and you like the Dodgers, they're a $2 favorite at home in that game against st louis chris we have you back yeah we have you back sorry i had a little All technical right. difficulties there nah, but uh hey what better way to, to start it off right in the national league where you have a matchup of a ton of recent history with these two teams and the st louis cardinals and the dodgers right i yeah. mean i look a, a, a friend of ours of course uh uh I may have spoken too soon on, on the, the Chris Wynn situation. We'll get him back. No problem. St. Louis, L.A., Wednesday, Scherzer, and Wainwright with the right to play San Francisco in the bottom of that bracket. This weekend matchup starts Friday, so the teams will get a whole almost a whole week off. Atlanta, the winners in the NL East, take on the Central winners in Milwaukee. And, Chris, I think we got you back, hopefully for good this time, my man. Yeah, I was having a little uh, issues, I guess, with my uh, feed, but either way. But uh, I don't know how much you caught about the uh, Dodgers and Cardinals, what I was talking about. But certainly, uh, uh, you know, it's always entertaining, especially in recent history between the Cardinals and Dodgers come postseason time. A lot of Dodger fans are nervous, Tim. You know the deal. Uh, the Ed Graneys, some of the other Dodger fans out there sweating it out a little bit because they do not like seeing that Cardinal red come playoff time in any type of scenario and especially in a one-game type of scenario like it's about to be taking place coming up on Wednesday. Essentially, they were the story of the second half that nobody wanted to talk about and that the unbelievable run that they made to qualify for the postseason, and they did it behind an Adam Wainwright, a John Lester, all well over the age of 35, uh, bolstering that starting rotation. Goldie Goldschmidt had struggled mightily in the first half. He found the fountain of youth in the second half as well. And it's a situation where you have a, a, a just a, a diamond in the rough there and Arenado at the corner. I mean, they can do damage in a one-game situation, Chris. All it takes is one big hit in the playoffs. We already know that. Oh, there's no question about it. And, uh, look, we understand what the Dodgers bring to the table from a talent standpoint, right? I mean, you're talking about a lineup that's loaded top to bottom. You're talking about a pitching staff despite the fact, you know, that you have the issues regarding, you know, Trevor Bauer and others with this team is still expected to be right there when we're talking about the National League pennant and possibly a World Series run, right? So, 
there's no questioning whatsoever what Los Angeles brings to the table from that front. But to me, it's all about kind of, you know, the, the mojo that these St. Louis Cardinals seem to have. And, and, you know, there'll be, there's plenty of scenarios we've seen over the past, even last 20 years where they get into the playoffs and they're not the best team. They're not the team that's expected to win. And they end up coming out on top and, and actually winning a world series. So this could absolutely be one of those types of situations. We'll see what happens though starting on Wednesday night. Yeah, we've seen the Giants do it many times coming out of that wild card slot to win the World Series. But that's the opponent, Chris. The winner of the Dodgers-St. Louis one-game wild card matchup will travel to San Francisco for a weekend to begin the series this weekend against the Giants. And just what an unbelievable story for San Francisco this season. Well, unbelievable and just, you know, a surprise across the board, right? Because, you know, look, we talked about it all season long, yourself and Tommy, especially on the show, about, you know, there's look, there's plenty of guys that were big time when you're talking about, you know, 2010 to 2017, right? I mean, there's plenty of guys on the team that, that are from that era, but they're, you know, the, the young guys that they've, that they've, that have joined this team are certainly making their mark. And you have to give credit where credit is due. And this is an organization from top to bottom that is just overperformed, right? I mean, there, there, there was absolutely no expectations that they would be this type of team, that they would be the team that has the best record in baseball going into the playoffs, especially given the fact that they're in the division with the likes of the Dodgers and the, and the San Diego Padres, right? I mean, there's absolutely no expectations whatsoever that this was a team that was going to be there and, and 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 point in fact we expect them to have an off year right where they would not be a team that was necessarily relevant and that the the old age would catch up with a lot of the guys there so it has been a, a tremendous season without question for the san francisco giants at and look i just lauded them with a bunch of praise tim and i'm sure you you would be willing to do that too and i'm sure everybody else is too as well but the fact of the matter is is that despite the fact that they are the best team in baseball from a record standpoint, there's not a lot of people out there. I don't think that that have them pegged to win the whole thing. There's not a lot of people out there that are going to limb right now and say before the playoffs start, Oh yeah, San Francisco giants are the team to beat. That's not really, I don't think that's the mentality of baseball fans, experts, and anybody across the board talking heads period. So we'll see what uh, it is they bring to the table. But I, I look, it is going to be intriguing to say the least to see exactly how good this team is and what they do do come postseason time. To win the World Series as we enter the playoffs, Chris, the Giants, 6-1, to one, they are not the favorites. So, again, they're going to have a little chip on their shoulder heading into it. You know, I'm not taking anything away from what they did during the regular season. I love the moves that the front office, Brian Sabian, did to bring in the likes of Chris Bryant to bolster that lineup. Uh, Buster Posey, unbelievable uh, still playing at his age. They, they've done the things they've had to do. The pitching's withstood itself. Kevin Gossman found himself. I just don't know, Chris, if the Cinderella story is going to be complete. Because when you look at what's what lies ahead of them, it's not that you're going to beat up on the likes of the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Chicago Cubs, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Those games are gone. It's all now good baseball teams, including whoever wins that matchup in the wild card game, will get the Giants. And if they survive, Chris, if they survive to go to the NL, the NL uh, CS, 
They get to play the right. winner of an Atlanta-Milwaukee series that I'm really looking forward to. I think this is going to be a great series. We, we know last year Atlanta went took the Dodgers to the limit and probably should have won that series and didn't do it. So they have a, they have that, that proverbial chip on their shoulder and wanting to get back to that, that spot. And Milwaukee, you, you talk about, you know, we talk about um, the offense in Major League Baseball, but Milwaukee's done it all year with the pitching behind Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta. Unbelievable staff there. So we'll, we'll see what plays itself into the second round. But just to, on the, as a whole on the left, if you look at the right side of the bracket in the National League, it's going to be a great Final Four no matter what. But for me, as much as everybody wants to see L.A. Frisco, I like that Atlanta-Milwaukee series. No question about it. And uh, you know, just to expand on that, if you think about the matchups that the Boston come about for the San Francisco Giants. And uh, look, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of you know chuckling at kind of the you know it's almost like the blatant disrespect. You know, we are giving. I'll say more me right than you, Tim, because I don't want to speak for you. But for me, I mean, I just take a look at matchups and I think to myself, I mean, do the Giants scare me in a series against the Braves? Do they scare me in a series against the Milwaukee Brewers? Do they absolutely don't scare me in a series? against, you know, their division rival Los Angeles Dodgers. And they don't they don't scare me in a series against the likes of a team like the Cardinals either. So, uh, you know, it, it is it's it's almost like and you talked about the chip on their shoulder. It's almost like we have an expectation that uh, this this team is going to still have to prove themselves here in the playoffs. Right. They are have to go out there and they're just going to either have to whack somebody or, you know, be just be so definitively better than their opponents where we sit back and say, oh, well, okay, maybe now, now maybe we're taking this seriously, right? As baseball fans where you say, oh, this is a team that, that maybe could win a ring, right? Or maybe could come out of the national league, but uh, it's, it's going to take them to, you know, I think it's going to take them to be just ultimately much better than whoever they play in the playoffs. Right. And, uh, and just dominate that first series before we get to that point, because I think the frame of mind of all of us baseball fans and, and like I said, talking heads and experts, I think, is still that this is a Giants team that needs to show us that they can do this come postseason. We'll switch over to the left side of the bracket, look at the American League. We, we Right at the top, we touched on it, Chris. One game decides the fate of the Yankees and, and the Red Sox. Unbelievable that these two storied franchises are going to battle it out to, to move on in the playoffs. And we're going to get Garrett Cole, the huge, huge free agent acquisition for the Yankees in the offseason. He gets the ball against Nate Evaldi, who's won some big games for the Red Sox here in the past, especially in the postseason. So uh, fitting, right, that they're going to play one game winner-take-all. Oh, without question. And like this is a situation where I, I, look, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know who's going to win. I really, I honestly don't, but it's just going to be fun to watch because this is someone who uh, you know, remembers it like it was yesterday, the matchups back in the early 2000s, right, Tim, where you had those matchups in the American League with the Red Sox and the Yankees in the playoffs. And, you know, you had the obviously, you know, Aaron Boone, ridiculous home run in extra innings to win the game. And you had the Red Sox down 3-0. And the improbable becomes probable and actually happens where they actually win that series. And you want to see kind of an emergence of that because they're like, let's be straight about it. Like, in the American League East, when the Red Sox have been good or great, they have been, you know, they've been the, either uh, the Yankees have been no match for them or anybody else in the American League has been no match for them. Kind of the reverse situation, same in 2009 with the New York Yankees, like the 
that year. The Red Sox weren't exactly a formidable opponent either. So it's been kind of like a, it's almost been kind of like a mismatch in my opinion regarding playoff time in recent memory between these two franchises. They've had some matchups against other teams that have been memorable. Obviously, I think as a Tiger fan of that matchup in the American League Championship Series against the Red Sox where you had the, you know, the, the, the uh, memorable uh, Ortiz home run that beat Detroit in the playoffs. And you had, you know, there, there's been other matchups across the board in the American League, but there really hasn't been a whole lot of memorable stuff, right, Tim? I guess you understand my point since the early 2000s regarding these two teams, whether it's the Red Sox and Yankees. So I'm looking forward to seeing what goes down on Tuesday night and how this all shakes out. And the winner of that game will play, stay in the division, the Tampa Rays again. No respect from a 100-win team this year, Chris. Is you, if you look back just to 2018, they won 90 games a year. Blake Snell won the Cy Young, didn't make the playoffs. The following year, they get in the playoffs, and Houston pushes them out on their way to a World Series run. And then last year, the Rays, again, against all odds, get to the World Series before the Dodgers take them out. So the Rays, you know, we, we've been talking about this chip on shoulders. I think they have a little bit to prove as well. And their reward of a 100-win season is they either get the Yankees or, or Boston in the first round. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out, right? I mean, Tampa Bay is essentially the Giants of the American League this year. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just it, I, mean, I, I can't be more plain and simple than that. It's a team that has, has won a ton of big games. It won the American League East. Yet, what did we talk about all season long? What did you and Tommy and us and myself and you and myself and Tommy, we weren't at all, Tim, during the entire season talking about the Tampa Bay Rays, even during stretches when they were great. I mean, we, we occasionally mention them on a game from a betting standpoint or from a wagering standpoint, but from a success standpoint or from, you know, this is a team to look out for standpoint or this is a team that could, you know, really throw a monkey wrench into things standpoint. We never talked about the Rays at all. You know, so uh, we talked a little bit more about the Giants on that on that end. But to circle back, I mean, yes, this is a team that has an absolute boulder on their shoulder, Tim. Okay, going into the playoffs, and yes, what who do we talk about? We talk about the Yankees, talk about the Red Sox, we talk about the Astros. You know, bang, bang, bang. But we won't talk. You know, we were we were talking more about the Seattle Mariners, and for rightly so because it was right in the mix, right? So then we were talking more about Seattle than we have been about the Tampa Bay Rays. So. They, they, there's no question they have the same kind of frame of mind that the likes of, te of a team like the San Francisco Giants has, and it's not going to be it's not going to be some shocker to me whatsoever if the Rays actually do get it done and make a serious run and, and could possibly do it. I, I just you know look as someone who's had history down there, who you know covered many games down there, who went to the atrocious stadium that they play in, you know, and and who kind of feels bad for the fan base down there because there's you see I feel like there's more Yankee fans in Tampa Bay than there is actual Rays fans uh I would love to see them finish the deal we saw them go to the World Series lose to the Phillies obviously you know they've had teams that have been really good before but I think it would just it would be it would be the ultimate and I don't know if I don't know if you can say this on the air but I'll, I guess I'll try to say it anyway it'd be the ultimate middle finger right Tim if the Tampa Bay Rays were to win the World Series this year uh, and it would be even better if it was like the, if it was the Rays and the Giants in the World Series, you yeah. know, and either one of those teams won because it would be uh, kind of, a, you know, up yours to everybody in Major League Baseball because, of, you know, two teams that were not expected to be there right in the end. 
or what nobody wants to see, including the networks, a Tampa-Milwaukee World Series, Chris. <laughs> exactly right, yeah. That, that goes along the lines of a, uh, you know, of a uh, NHL Stanley Cup final that has, you know, you know, team markets like Tampa Bay or Florida or, you know, I, I'm not going to throw Vegas in there because Vegas is, you know, it's just a different kind yeah. of animal. But you, but you understand what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah, yeah. So, that, so there would... The, the networks would not be pumped. Let's put it that way. We all understand what the networks want, Tim. We know what they want. It's Dodger Blue and, you know, and Bronx Bombers would be ideal, okay, for Major League Baseball. They would even be down with a repeat of, you know, obviously the, you know, the Dodgers against the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. As well. Second, the other matchup in the American League will be the Chicago White Sox. Tony La Russa back out of retirement, 90 wins. Uh, again, talk about Milwaukee's pitching. Chicago, a deep rotation there behind Lynn. And, and you know, he, he was carried the team much of the first half. Lucas Giolito in the second half came on strong for him. And they take on everybody's favorite team to hate, Chris, the Houston Astros, who since winning the title in 17, so... Th- they were out of the playoffs for, for uh, other than one appearance for over a decade. They rebuild the whole thing. They win the series in 17. They get back to the World Series in 19. And last year in NLCS uh, exit. So uh, they've been playoff heavy the last six, seven years now. And they get back into the world, uh, playoff situation. They take on a young Chicago White Sox team. That's going to be a fun one to watch as well. Oh, there's no doubt, right? And there's kind of an easy observation we can make as far as what baseball fans who are not uh, Houston Astro fans want to see happen in this matchup. There's going to be a lot of people rooting for the White Sox, and it's not because they just love the White Sox. It's because they despise the Houston Astros. There's still that sentiment out there, right, Tim, regarding the whole cheating scandal and everything that went down with you know drums that were trash cans and all kinds of stuff going on, so... There's, there's no doubt they're still kind of the black sheep, right? They're, they're viewed that way. Now, look, a lot of the people are gone that were on that team that were either the manager or coaches or, you know, personnel people or whatever or players, right? They're, they're no longer there. So that's going to probably be their approach if you're the Houston Astros. is like, hey, we, we don't care about that. We haven't, you know, uh, this is – I'm Dusty Baker and I'm, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of players there that, that, uh, that don't feel they're culpable regarding all that that went down and so they're just going to approach it from their standpoint but i will say this it's going to be a talented houston astros team taking on a white Sox team that was able to just kind of cruise right through the american league central and there really was no no challenge whatsoever so i have a little bit of concern there now of course full disclosure i've said on the show many times and i'll just continue to say it i had the white Sox winning the world series so yeah. i have to you know lean towards shoot the pale hose in this regard but that being said it's not going to be some cakewalk they're going to be faced with uh challenges and it starts with the Houston Astros obviously and uh and it's going to be a tough test and we'll and we'll get an opportunity to see this White Sox pitching staff see if they're able to you know kind of deal with what playoff baseball is there are a lot of young players too on this White Sox team that have not been in the thick of things when it comes to playoff baseball so I want to see how they respond and, uh, yeah, you mentioned Tony La Russa. Look, he's been around the block a million times. I still remember as a kid, when I was 13 years old, back in 1983, you know, Tony La Russa with the, 
with the rainbow the Chicago White Sox picture on the, you know, back when Tops used to have the whole team pictures and they'd have the whole team on there with the manager in like, in a, you know, in an expanded picture right next to it. And you see Tony La Russa on there. That's how long he goes back with the White Sox. And we all understand his success. So uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be interested to see exactly what his impact is with this, with this White Sox team when it comes to playoff time as well too, Tim. You mentioned you picked the Palos to win it. I remember the, the preview show, but just to remind everybody, because that was we're going back in March now. So six months later, and Chris, I chose Atlanta and the Yankees to play in the series. I'm still alive. Somehow I'm still alive, even with all the injuries Atlanta had. I'm still there. I can't change my prediction. I picked Atlanta to win the series. Hang tight. We're back at it. Heatwave Sports on a Sunday night, Fox Sports Radio. Sunday night edition of Heatwave Sports, Tim Unglesby, Chris Wynn, and Brian with you up until the midnight hour. We're on every weekend, 10 to midnight, and here's where I jump in and say, except for next weekend, we're off as uh, a couple things have come up that we have to take care of. So we'll be off next weekend and then back at it the following weekend with both nights of Heatwave Sports. And quickly before we got cut off, Chris, I had talked about how I had Atlanta and the Yanks making the World Series with Atlanta hoisting the trophy. Uh, it's, it's, I'm still alive. It's going to be a tough one to get there, but I'm still I'm still there. I did say, however, if Houston finds a way into the series, I think they can win it again. What say you? Well, you have solid chances. I'm telling you what your picks are, but I'm going to have to stick along with. I've gone all along, my friend. I'm staying with Dodger Blue. I think the Los Angeles Dodgers go back to the World Series, and I'm also going to stick, obviously, with the Chicago White Sox, the team that I picked to win the whole thing. I think that's going to be a uh, Chicago-LA World Series, and uh, so the networks won't be too mad about that, obviously, having the you know two out of the top three markets in the mix there. No, that's exactly what they want, the Chris Wynn Series, man. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the Chris Wynn Series wouldn't be exactly that, right, Tim? I mean, the, the Chris <laughs> Wynn Series would be... Uh, uh, Orioles, Tigers, American League Championship Series, and then uh, you know Tigers, Giants. Because I want, I want redemption. I want revenge, my friend, for 2012 when we got swept by the uh, San Francisco Giants. So I want Giants, Tigers, World Series. But hey, we can all dream, can't we? Hey, Amen. Give it a few years. We, we might get there. So, exactly. I had the pleasure pleasure of sitting next to you on. What, what was that? Thursday night for game two of yeah yes game two of the WNBA semifinal matchup between Phoenix and Las Vegas. It saw Phoenix tie the series at one here in town. So game three was today in Tempe at Arizona State University, and I don't even know if Vegas made the trip. Chris, just an embarrassment today by the Las Vegas Aces as uh, again a situation where you think they would bounce back from a tough loss on their home floor and regain the advantage in the best of five series, but they didn't even come to play today. They were just completely embarrassed, as far as I'm concerned, scoring just a measly 67 points. Yeah, needless to say, Tim, right, absolutely a disappointment, especially after you and I and the rest of the media here in Vegas sat in that press conference after the game, and you heard Coach Bill Lambert talk about how disappointed he was about how they didn't show up. You heard Asia Wilson mention that there was no excuses. There was nothing positive that could be pulled from that loss in game two here at home against Phoenix and then they go out there and they lay an egg again in game three and get whacked again 
by 20-plus points, and mm-hmm. Asia Wilson, you know, ends up shooting two for 14. I'm sorry, but look, Asia's a professional athlete. I love her as a person. She is one of the ambassadors of the WNBA. She is one of the good people in sports, right? But she absolutely is going to garner and deserve criticism in this situation. She just talked about how they have nothing nothing positive to say about Game 2. And then Game 3, you just can't go out there as a former, especially as a former MVP of the WNBA, and shoot 2 of 14 in a game that, you know, absolutely is critical to this team moving on in the playoffs. You just can't have it. And then, of course, Kelsey Plum chipped in too, but shooting 2 of 10 from the field after being the sixth woman of the year and being one of the huge offensive cogs for this ace of squad all season long. It was absolutely, thoroughly a disappointment. And uh, look, I mean, it was just a situation where yeah, you, there, there's no excuses. There's absolutely no excuses. You have a Phoenix Mercury team that was not playing in familiar surroundings. They're playing in, a, you know, essentially at, 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 you know, Arizona State University, which they haven't played all season long. Okay, it's still, I, I don't know if it's still up in the air now, but it was, it was a question whether or not game four, what the venue is going to be or where they're going to play it. But I got to say, I mean, I, it, it might not even matter because the way that the Phoenix Mercury are playing, and look, we have to give credit where credit is due, too, right, to the Phoenix Mercury. It's a quality basketball team. They have veterans over there. They have, you know, future WNBA and basketball Hall of Famers over there. So it's, you know, it's not like, it's not like the Aces are dropping this to some garbage team. They're just, they're just getting beat, beat up by a quality squad. And so... To, to me, I, but I, I was just blown away by just the, I, 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 there's, there's no, there's no intensity, right? There's no, you know, th- this is, there's no, this is unacceptable type of field during the game. I get it after the game if you're going to say, well, we just didn't have, we just didn't have it tonight, or we didn't have heart. But I mean, a- after you got waxed like that on Tuesday night at home in front of a huge crowd here in Vegas, and then you're going to, you know, go out there for Game Three and perform that way, I just, I just thought it was unacceptable and. And I'm sure, look, I'm sure Bill Beer thinks it's unacceptable, and I'm sure Asia and, and uh, Liz and all the rest of the players do too, but it was just brutal, man. And, uh, you know, and that's all I can say about that. I mean, it was, just, it was just absolutely brutal. Yeah, I misspoke. They scored 60 points, so I gave them too much credit. They lose 87 to 60, down two games to one now. Elimination situation come Wednesday night back in Phoenix. I know, I know how it goes, Chris. Right? It's not over till it's over. If you win Game Four, you come back home to play Game Five. I get all that, but you said when you have the game that you played in Game Two to respond and be even worse. They were even worse tonight in Game Three. They shot thirty percent from the field, fourteen percent from three point line. So they were two of fourteen from three today. Fourteen percent, and we we talked about how Phoenix was just on fire Thursday night. It wasn't like they, they were burning the nest tonight. Tarasi only had nine points, Chris. Uh, Griner, another solid double-double. Brianna Turner had a huge game, though, for for the Mercury. But they even struggled from the three-point line. They shot 28% as well. It was just a matter of they got out early again, right, Chris? They extended that lead in, in the set at the half. They extended the lead in the third, and the game was over at that point. Vegas scored a, a abysmal eight points in the fourth quarter tonight. And look, Tim, you and I and the rest of us in the media, we're all critical too, right, of the defensive effort on Tuesday night. When you give up, you know, almost 120 points in the WNBA, that's atrocious. That should not happen, especially for a playoff caliber team, a team that should absolutely be in the in, in the mix when it comes to a WNBA title like the Las Vegas Aces. And so, 
to have the defensive effort. Now you mentioned, of course, that it wasn't they weren't that bad today. You know, it wasn't that situation. I mean, the, the obviously when you have the you know Mercury scoring you know eighty plus points, it's not great, but it's not. It wasn't a hundred almost one hundred and twenty like it was the other night. So that's just another you know check mark that is negative when it comes to the Aces. Is that you know they, you know you expected them to you know step up big time defensively in Game Three and it didn't happen. And uh, but but when it, when it comes right down to it, I mean, it doesn't, again, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out, right? You take a look at the shooting percentages, and you say, I mean, I mean, what is going on? You know, like I, it's you just don't, you cannot have a situation. Look, I mean, you think you think about it like this way. We, you and I, we, you know, we follow the NBA. I mean, imagine uh, a superstar in the NBA shooting two for fourteen in a in a game after you know you basically got embarrassed the game before. And then, and then, and fully being aware of it, and mentioning it in the post-game press conference, and saying, "Look, we know that uh, we didn't show up tonight, and we got our butts kicked, and we need to make sure that we rectify that situation, and we make changes going into the next game." And then they go out and 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 say, you know, NBA superstar X, whether it's Kevin Durant or LeBron James or or Michael Jordan or anybody, goes out and shoots two for fourteen. I mean, you would just be like, you'd be at a loss for words, right? And so that's kind of the way I feel about. Asia Wilson and and the and the uh, and the Las Vegas Aces and you know you can call it, you can say I'm over analyzing it you can say maybe I'm taking this a little bit too far but I don't think I am I mean this is what they do for a living this is what you know this is what they are you know with the Las Vegas Aces to do and that's to win a championship and to be you know and to be that and they they want to be that first team in Vegas that 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 hoists the title here in this town. And so the expectations are there, and they are rightfully so there. And so that's why I think this makes it so disappointing, right, Tim? Yeah. We sat in the press room wondering, you, you just said it, about what was going to happen for Game 4. Well, the NBA announced that there will be a doubleheader on Wednesday, Chris, so check this out. The Lakers will play the Suns at the Footprint Center. We know it as Veterans Memorial Coliseum as downtown Phoenix. The Suns-Lakers will play a 3 o'clock tip-off Pacific Standard Time in downtown Phoenix. And the showcase game at night, 7 p.m., Mr. Mr. Chris Wynn, Vegas versus the Mercury. So we get a doubleheader action on Wednesday. I think that was 100% the right thing to do, and I'm glad they decided to do it that way. Absolutely. No question about it. And, uh, look, I mean, I'll take it a step further. I don't know why the NBA just can't play a preseason game. Because, look, it's a 3 o'clock game. Nobody's going to be there, right? I mean, it's right. going to be right. or, or it's going to be a minimal crowd to see an NBA preseason game. Why don't you just play it somewhere else around the state or somewhere close by, like Albuquerque that doesn't have a team, you know, and play a 7 o'clock game, right, where the fans there can get a chance to see NBA basketball. I don't really know. Look, I, I mean, I guess I get it from a Phoenix standpoint because you get a chance to see both the teams. But it's not exactly like they're back-to-back, right? So you're not going to have a scenario where you're going to have the Suns fans sticking around, right, for the Mercury game and, 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 and watching the game so you wouldn't have any kind of undue advantage or any kind of advantage, period, for the Mercury that the fans would stay there and say, oh, hey, we want to we stay and see their women's team advance to the WNBA Finals, right? So Because the, because the, game, the games are essentially two hours apart. So... It's, they're going to they're going to they're going to basically empty the stadium out or the arena out and then it's, it's going to be a brand new crowd. So you don't really have that whole angle. So I mean, it's kind of weird how they're setting up this whole doubleheader thing, but whatever, they're doing it. And so, uh, but that being said, I mean, it, I mean, the Aces know what they have to do. The Aces have to 
absolutely play better defensively. They absolutely have to find a way to to make to get buckets and to get buckets in droves. And they have to and they their mindset has to completely be regenerated. They really do. I mean, they have to the confidence has to be amped up to a level where where I don't know. I just don't know if they can get there, Tim. I mean, I, I'd love to hear your opinion because. Myself, I mean, I think you, you can be so mentally deflated, right, after two types of games that they just lost that it could be, you know, you know, it could be just – they could be done. They could be absolutely done. So I, I – I, I, let me put it this way. You talked about how they can win game four, come back. I'm going to be surprised if they're able to go and win that game four and then come back and win game five. If they do that, I'll be highly impressed. And I'll be highly impressed with Bill Lambeer and the coaching staff because it'll, I think it'll be a big a big part of that and that credit will be due to them. But uh, I mean, I just I just think it's going to be very difficult. I think it's given the mindset of this team right now and where they stand from a confidence standpoint, particularly offensively. I don't know if they're going to be able to, to come around to that point where they can they can pull out that victory in Game Four. I remember I sat in the the first preseason game that, that the Las Vegas Aces ever played. I want to say it was against China, maybe Japan, and they had, they had won, and Lane Beer was in the press conference room. Same one we sat in Thursday night, Chris. And he said, you know, this is a process, which we've heard him repeat for the last three and a half years, whatever it was. It's a process. we got to get established. we got to get the players that fit my system in, and then we can start talking about winning WNBA titles. And we're at that point. This was this was the year, right? This was the year that it was supposed to happen, and it very well could still happen. But you're right. Emotionally, what are these ladies thinking right now? And it's going to be up to Lambier to motivate them for Game Four. Uh, you know, I, I assume it's going to be a nice crowd there at the Footprint Center cheering on the Mercury. And the problem that 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 I see is that. To Rousey, for as good as she was in Game 2, with a playoff career at 37 points, had a bad Game 3, Chris. And she knows she has Vegas right there, foot on the neck. I'm, I'm worried that if she has a game, it, it doesn't matter what Vegas is going to bring to the party because it might not be enough. And, and you said it with Wilson. You're an MVP. You're, you're a great ambassador of the game and the sport. We love you to death. But you did not come to play the last two games. And this is a huge. This is this is it. This is where you want to see the the LeBron James. So we use him, the LeBron James of the WNBA right now. You need to come to play and lead your team to victory in Game Four, and then we'll worry about Game Five come next weekend. But it's the one in front of us. And if the odds makers say anything, Chris, Game Four, Vegas is a one point favorite on Wednesday night. Which I I don't know about you, but it seems a little bit surprising to me, right? Given the past two games. You see double-digit victories, 20-point-plus victories by a team that Bill Lambeer, even in the press conference before the playoffs started, right, Tim? Bill Lambeer wasn't even expected to be playing the Phoenix Mercury. He was talking about playing the Minnesota, you know, the Minnesota Lynx because the Lynx had the home court advantage. He just just expected that the Minnesota was going to advance. So he wasn't even expecting Phoenix to get there. So you obviously won game one, right, and were able to pull that game out. Uh, that way, look, it wasn't a blowout by any stretch of the imagination. And then, of course, what's transpired the last two ball games? Again, I can keep coming back to it, and you keep coming back to it. It's about where Vegas, their heads are at. I want to know where their heads are at, and if they can, they have a mindset where they can be aggressive 
and be efficient offensively, and they can be dominant, and they can come out and say, we refuse to lose this basketball game. And if they don't come with that, and if they come, and if you know a situation transpires like you talked about, where you have Diana Taurasi and you have Skylar Diggins Smith, and you have you know, and you have obviously Brittany Griner and the rest of this team going out and putting up solid numbers, and we see kind of a repeat, even in the same neighborhood of what took place in games two and games three, then this series is going to be over. And, you know, all the expectations and all the uh, optimism and all the love that was shown among fans, among the media, among, you know, among the players, among the organization, and, and, and thoughts and dreams of a WNBA title are going to go out the door for Las Vegas. And it's going to be on to next season, and we're going to just end up focusing on the Raiders and uh, UNLV basketball and, uh, and obviously the Vegas Golden Knights because the season's going to be over for the Aces if they don't even come, if they don't come and uh, and put their foot down in a big time way Tim in this game four well it's a show of predictions so Chris you give me your prediction first I'll follow behind you will we have a game five next weekend in Las Vegas no we won't we won't because I don't think that from a mindset standpoint I don't I don't believe uh, that that the Aces are going to be able to kind of, you know, railroad this thing around and kind of bring it around to what they want it to be as far as uh, the mindset. I think they are deflated. I think they are, you know, questioning themselves. And look, if they and, – and maybe we're micromanaging this a little bit. Maybe we are – maybe there is a, a, a tinge of overreaction or just overinflating or whatever it is you want to call it. But, you know, if, if they go, you know, five for – 15, you know, or, go, or they go uh, 7 for 20, you know what I mean? Then maybe there's, uh, you know, you could say, well, he was just, you know, it was just an offshoot. But, but 2 of 14 and 2 of 10 from your two offensive cogs who have been big time for, or for a long time this season, I just, I, I, I just don't see any and, – and see, I, don't, I just don't see any way that there, there's going to be a, some type of immediate turnaround, right, Tim, where they're just going to right the ship – and, uh, you know, and Bill Lambier and the coaches all have some type of magic chemistry formula that they've mixed up where they can get everybody back on the same page and where they can get to a level where they win this game. So, no, I don't. I think that the Phoenix Mercury end up closing the series out. And, uh, and, even, and even if they do win game four, Tim, I, I, st- I still uh, have, you know, full confidence that, that Phoenix can come here and win a game because I saw it. We, we all saw it here just a matter of a few days ago. So I still think it's there. Well, look, it's again, it doesn't take a math major, right? It's 2 1, they're down. So, it, I mean, they have to essentially win two games in a row. And I just don't necessarily see that happening, Tim. I'm going to say this, and it may be the fanboy in me speaking out here, but I think Wednesday night we're going to get a, a hell of a basketball game. I think we're going to get a close one. But Vegas somehow finds a way to. to create a game five situation next weekend where of course i won't be in town to watch game five but you'll be there to to, to uh, cover that game i i think that look and this is i'm not even gonna talk about cam Bays right now we we know the situation she's recovering from from covid and, and is trying to get back into game shape she was a leading scorer today actually for for the aces but when you have that core of wilson and plum and the hamby have been together since day one I have to think that there's something left in that tank 
to keep them around, Chris, and that those three are going to come to play Wednesday night, and then whatever you get from Cambage will help them out. And the, the off-season acquisitions of Chelsea Gray and Raquana Williams that Bill Lambier knows very well from playing in, in this league, he knows the playoff toughness that they have, I think it all comes together on paper form in Game 4. I'm not going to speak out on Game 5 right now, but I think they can push it back one more time and we get a game that we need to get. I just cannot see. You, you say that you take the side of where are they mentally and how can they come back from it. I'm going to take the side of how can they play that bad three games in a row. Give me the aces in a close one to push a game five, and then we'll talk about that next. Uh, well, hopefully we'll talk about it in two weeks when they're in the finals. And you make a strong case, given that if they do get performances from the likes of Williams, right, and uh, and and Dierica and and the rest of the uh, you know quote unquote supporting staff, mm -hmm. then absolutely they're live. There's no question that they are. They're going to be right there. It's just uh, you know I'm, I'm more concerned necessarily of uh, and and you talked about Liz and Liz. You know yes she had a solid game. There's no question about it. I mean she, look they're and, and Bill Lambier talks about this all the time. They're they're a team that tries to transition from uh, the style of play when Liz is in the game as opposed to when Liz is not in the game. And so I think that maybe has been kind of detrimental to the team at points throughout the postseason. And so that's been something they've been dealing with. But uh, it's clear that she's not 100% as far as – and you talked about the conditioning. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying she's injured. I'm saying, like, from a, you know, from a conditioning standpoint, you know, I mean, you and I, we see it. We saw it on the floor. I mean, she's up there. She's not exactly, you know, someone who's just, you know, launching herself up and down the court, right? She's someone who's still trying to get her legs back under her, despite the fact that she's, she's able to put up 13, right? She's, I mean, that's how good she is. She's able to put up double-digit points and put up, you know, solid rebound numbers and be a factor despite the fact that she's not exactly, you know, at the top of her game. And so, you know, those things considered, and, and, but you make a good point. If, those, if, the, if the likes of Rakan if Williams and, and the rest of this team, you know, can, can, can contribute on a level that uh, is adequate, then I think absolutely they have a chance. But it's just a matter of uh, – it's and again, what makes it tough, right, Tim? It's a one-game scenario, right? We're not right. talking about two or three more games left. We're talking about one game, and so that's why that's kind of what I base my my whole mentality standpoint of it. You, you, talk, you made a great point talking about you know talking about what the players can do, and myself talking about what the players are from the neck up right now. I just think in a one game scenario, it just makes it very difficult considering what's you know gone down the pipe here the last couple of games. So we were going to close that hour one with Monday Night Football, but I'm going to push it to hour two, Chris, and we'll we'll finish up here with a quick little segment on UNLV football. As you know and I know, another loss now sitting at, a, what are they, Chris, 0-5 right now um, with a week off. So no losses this week for the Rebel football team. And, uh, again, Tommy talked about it a little bit on the show last night. The In parentheses, the moral victories continue for the Rebels. Just your thoughts on the game Saturday against Texas San Antonio or UTSA. Do, do you think they're getting better? Is it a situation where UTSA was looking ahead? They have a big rivalry matchup next week. Uh, you're just your thoughts as the Rebels have almost played half the season already. Unbelievable. Yeah, and, and look, I seem to kind of use this phrase every time we talk about UNLV football. It's just a difficult situation, right? Yes, they're mm -hmm. in football games. They're not. It's not like every single game they're just getting blasted or boat raced and run out of the building. You know, it's a situation where you've got 
you know, a, a combination of, of players who are vets, you know, the likes of Charles Williams, who's a quality running back, right, in the Mountain West and had, had his, and gets his numbers at some points during games, but he's not somebody that's able to take them over the top from a winning standpoint, right? You get the situation where you get the young quarterback that gets in there in this game against UTSA and throws the bomb to Jenkins and they get that, you know, that long touchdown pass and it gives a lot of UNLV Rebel fans some hope and say, oh, you know what, you know, we can do things like this. We can get big touchdown drives, right, Tim? We can go out there and score points against decent college football teams. And then we end up in, you know, end up in, uh, in a space where, you know, they, they end up uh, collapsing in the second half or think they, don't, they don't make adjustments in the second half, and it ends up same old, same old. And look, as a Detroit Lions fan, I can 100% relate, okay, because – uh, you know, I'm a fan of a franchise that has had numerous scenarios that have transpired that are this way, where it's a team that is either undermanned, uh, underperforming, undercoached, or all of the above, and is just is not going to really be relevant, whether it comes to the NFL and when it comes to UNLV football, it comes to the Mountain West, and so and obviously UTSA is not in the Mountain West. But they're a decent football team, right? Division, division, decent Division One program. That's relatively new, by the way. That uh, I got to be flat out honest with you, and I'm sure you can you can share with it. I uh, didn't even know they had a football program until I, I didn't even know they had a, any college sports programs until I saw them play in a holiday tournament here in basketball. But uh, getting back to the game, I mean, it was it was uh, they were not favored to win that game. UTSA is, was uh, coming off a win against the likes of Memphis on the road at Memphis the week before, and all expectations were that that. UTSA was going to win the game. They won, okay? They win by a touchdown. It was a close game, whatever. But at the end of the day, UNLV is still waiting for their first win, right? And Marcus, and Marcus Arroyo, as a head coach, is still looking for his first win. And so it's, it's almost to a point where, it's look, it's not comical by any stretch because these are real people. These are kids. These are college kids. These are college athletes that are trying to, trying to play well, and they're trying to do something. But from a standpoint of uh, you know viewing it from the media or from from the fans or from anybody in college football that that follows Mountain West football, it's just a really really tough spot, Tim. Right, and it's just so hard to kind of watch this week in and week out as uh, they just continue to find ways to lose football games. Rebels off this week, back in action, home get a home game at Allegiant Stadium. On, I believe it's the 16th, Chris, am I correct? Utah State, would that be the opponent? That would be the opponent. It's going to be an early game, too. I believe it's a 3 or 4 o'clock kickoff at Allegiant Stadium a week from this Saturday against the Aggies of Utah State. And I would expect Utah State to be favored, right, Tim? I think they're oh, yeah. going to be a slight favorite in this football game. Oh, yeah. It's going to definitely be a Utah State favorite. We'll see what the line comes out next week. And uh, we'll get you – well, we'll talk about that game next when right after it's done as – We'll be hitting the airwaves Saturday night on the 16th. Talk about Rebel football and, of course, week six of the NFL. Speaking of the NFL, we come back from the top of the hour timeout. Week four, some great games. One undefeated team for sure in the Arizona Cardinals. And we'll talk about the other one. Can they stay undefeated tomorrow night? That's your Las Vegas Raiders. So stay tuned. Hour two on the way. Tim Unglesby, Chris Wynn, Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Hour two, Heat Wave Sports Super Sunday night. It's Tim Ungles being Chris Wynn with you for the next hour as we were going to talk NFL football. Chris, quickly though, uh, 
You're available all around social media. Always love your takes, whether they're sports, political. It doesn't matter. You always have a good take, and you bring it, my friend. Let everybody know those handles. Yeah, you can find me at Christian Win over on Twitter. You can also find me at Christian WN on Facebook and also CWIN77 over on Instagram as well, too. Talking everything across the board, sports, politics, entertainment, mostly sports, though. But we'll occasionally, Pim, you and I, we like to throw in our little uh, boy band exchanges every once in a while, right? You know, anytime oh, yeah. there's a, you know, a quality concert in town, you know, whether it's 98 Degrees or New Kids on the Block or some sync action, we're not afraid to, uh, to give our lowdown on that. No, not at all. I mean, we're we open it up. Let's do it. We, we want to do a show on that. We can do a show on that. We can do a lot of different things, Chris. We're going to concentrate though on you know what? Let's start with with the big one Monday night. Not here in town. The Raiders are back against Chicago next weekend, but Chris, they have a chance to remain undefeated along with the Arizona Cardinals as the only two teams. They got to do it though at in LA against the Chargers divisional matchup. Just your thoughts on this game. The Chargers are a 3-point favorite tomorrow at home. No question, and uh, I think there's going to be some offense, my friend. Look, we understand that the Raiders' defense has improved without question, and the Chargers also have a formal defense as well, too. But what have we talked about so far early out of this season throughout the first three games for these teams? It's been about, obviously, Derek Carr, his improved play, and his stock rising among NFL quarterbacks as far as the thought process. And then, of course, Justin Herbert, who's had a tremendous season. He's been big time for them. They get Austin Eckler from the injury from a year ago. He's been big. Obviously, the combination of Keenan Allen and Williams at the receiver position for the Chargers has been big time also. So you've got a matchup. It's going down at SoFi Stadium in L.A. So it's – and we've talked about this too also, right, Tim? And I believe last week or, or uh, the week before we even kind of highlight, even though the game was two weeks away, we were talking about fan support, right? And you think about this stadium, right? SoFi Stadium tomorrow night on Monday Night Football. It's supposed to be home field. For this, for the, I almost said it, Tim. I almost said the San Diego Chargers, but I didn't. It is the LA Chargers. It is absolutely, Tim, and I want to get your take on this. I say it's going to be 75% Raider fans in there tomorrow night, and that's extraordinary to think about that, but not really, right? I mean, they played there for a number of years, they've been one of California's team, they have a huge, monstrous Raider Nation following. And, okay, but they're in Vegas now. But, uh, you know, so th you add Vegas to the mix, too. The Vegas, it's going to be uh, a huge silver and black showing there. And so that, I think that, that could have a major impact on this game. That being said, I think on the field, if I take a look at both these teams, I'm still going to, and I'm going to put a little bit of C-win change on it, Tim, on the, San, uh, on, the, uh, on the Chargers to win this football game tomorrow night. It's going to be a great atmosphere, no doubt. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's going to be some some Raider black and silver there in L.A. for that game. And I think, for me, you, you mentioned it, it's the defense. Right, The defense has come up huge. And whether it was Lamar Jackson or, or even last week in a, in a game that I think a lot of people expected the Raiders to win easily. And it, it was a, a lot tougher than the, what they expected with Jacoby Brissett, you know, so you look at Lamar, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, who, who obviously we've seen Pittsburgh, and they may not be able to come back from this. Jacoby Brissett, now you get the young kid and Justin Herbert. That's going to be interesting to see whether the Raiders' secondary can handle the likes of the Mike Williams, the Keenan Allens, 
and then an Eckler out of the backfield who presents a whole new situation of problems for defenses. You know, you look at this Charger team, they've only given up 60 points, and they I don't think they've hit their stride in that. That offense is a lot more prolific than the 67 points they've been able to put up, Chris. If, you know, by comparison, the Chargers knocked out the Chiefs last week, and the Chiefs have scored double the amount of points that Sandy, or see, I almost did it right there, L.A. did. Is this the game that maybe the Chargers just finally get loose offensively? It could be. Well, something's got to come to a head, right? Because we've, we've, we've kind of praised the Raiders' defense, and so because of the matchups. They, they, look, they haven't played cupcakes this season. They played some quality mm-hmm. football teams. But also, you talked about the, you know, the pieces that the Chargers have offensively. They're down formidable, right? And so it, I'm, I'm going to be extremely interested to see what this Raiders secondary is able to do against the likes of Herbert and Williams and Allen and the rest of these guys as well, too. And also, on, on offense for the Raiders, look, it's not it's not all you know rainbows and sunshines for the Raiders on offense. We don't know what Josh Jacobs is going to bring to the table coming off the injury. Obviously, he hasn't had, you know been extremely active this season so far. And look, I, and I talked about this a couple days ago on another show. In you know there, it, it, we've seen the emergence of Henry Ruggs III, right? He's he's been able to have some solid games, and he's it's it's almost like he's starting to come out of his shell and show some of the talent that he was drafted and the reason why he was drafted so high. But Darren, it's not like Darren Waller has been out there and just lighting things up, right? I mean, Darren, we're, we're still waiting for Darren Waller to have, a, you know, kind of a breakout game that he did routinely back in 2019 2020 during the season last year. So to me, I, I'm going to be looking for those things. I want to see, you know, you know, Darren Waller become more uh, of a factor in that offense and, and, and kind of Derek Carr kind of finding him. But I also I do think that the, that the Chargers offensively are going to be able to do some things against this Raider defense and and uh, and able to put some points up, especially at home. All right, prediction show. You like the Chargers and what, Chris? The over? Yeah, I'm thinking it's going to be a high-scoring game. I'm thinking I think I think the Chargers win it something something on the lines of uh, I'm thinking. 34 to 30, that type of football game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think the Chargers end up winning it. And and uh, look, it's not it's not the end all be all or some kind of death knell for the Raiders. I mean, they're going on the road on Monday night, and uh, we've seen what you know. Look, we've seen the wackiness that's gone on, you know, with the Raiders on Monday on Monday night, and uh, on Sunday night, the, the you know here early on the season. So, uh, I think this is one of those games where you know it ends up coming down to. To, to a close football game, but I think the Raiders end up on the losing end of it. I like I like L.A. tomorrow as well. I think the Raiders will suffer their first loss of the year. I think it's been coming. Whether they squeeze by Baltimore in week one, they, they squeeze by Miami in, in week three, I think they'll get their first loss. And like you said, the world's not on fire yet, but everything kind of comes back to earth at some point, and we'll see how the Raiders can uh, regroup from a loss and take on Chicago in week five here back in Vegas. But let's look around the NFL. Chris will stay in the AFC West, the Kansas City Chiefs. And this was uh, a game I really liked in that, in my mind, and I know things happen, but in my mind, there's no way KC's losing three straight games. They go to Philly. They put up a 42 spot. Mahomes, five touchdowns. Everything's okay in the world of Kansas City, right, Chris? 42-30, they knock out the, the Eagles. 
Yeah, this was a get-right game, right, for the for the Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, you have Andy Reid going back there, a place where, you know, he obviously was able to uh, have success but, but ends up leaving before they win a Super Bowl. And Pat Mahomes just had a monster day, okay? Went out there, threw five touchdown passes. Tyreek Hill, equally so, three of those touchdown passes were thrown to Hill, and he had over 180 yards receiving as well, too. And so the uh, – ends up being the Chiefs giving basically Andy Reid a wrecking homecoming. And uh, they beat the Eagles. And it wasn't like the Eagles were out there not, you know, not able to be effective offensively. The Eagles went out there and put up 30 points of their own as Jalen Hurts, what, throws for a career high, I think 387, along with two touchdowns in that game. But they just couldn't keep up with Kansas City's high-powered offense. You saw Edwards Blair. And the running game, I mean, the, the, the Chiefs were able to get almost uh, anything they wanted to on the ground as well as through the air. As well, too, and the you know, the Eagles had what three touchdowns negated by penalty, and settled for field goals three times inside the red zone. That's you, you're just not going to win football games against the like of Kansas of the Kansas City Chiefs when you're in, when you're putting that type of uh, spot. So it was uh, an exciting game to watch. I mean, there's points all over the place, but it was clear that the Kansas City Chiefs were out to make a point because when the day started, Tim, where were the Kansas City Chiefs? They were sitting in the basement of the AFC West. And uh, getting a victory to get back to 2-2 two and two was exactly what the doctor ordered for Kansas City. You're right, because if somehow they lose that football game, next week is not – they're back home, but they get on that Sunday nighter. They get the Buffalo Bills who just train-wrecked Houston today in, in a game that I think we all – we all thought there was no way that Houston was winning that game. And, and a 17-point favorite in the Bills, they shut them out, Chris, 40 – to nothing just uh defensively buffalo looks very very stout right now well this is clearly a game in which the buffalo bills defense flexed their muscles they forced five turnovers were just overwhelming mills across the board sacks all over the place turnovers and it was the texans couldn't get it out of their own way i mean they couldn't score on four snaps from buffalo's 13 yard line off of a josh allen interception right which you know what? And this was early on in the game. So they, after that that whole, uh, you know, circumstances of place to place, I was like, they have no chance. You know, and then exactly we saw what we saw. I mean, it was uh, look, Mike Hyde, the safety, talked about this. We, you know, he talked about the defense and playmakers all over the field. And uh, anytime they can hold any team to no points, it's pretty awesome. And he's right. And I, I believe it's the second shutout the Bills have had this season. This is probably the best defense in football. Uh, when you look at Hyde, when you look at Edmonds, when you look at, you know, Matikavich, when you look at Jonathan, Cam Lewis, and all these guys, I mean, it, all those guys forced fumbles today. And they limited the Texans to just a hundred, just over 100 yards of offense total. Eight yards, Tim Oglesby, in the first half. Eight yards and six first downs the entire game. And uh, like I said, they posted their second shutout in three weeks. And uh, Buffalo, by the way, they, they shut out Miami. Uh, just a matter of uh, a couple weeks. A couple weeks ago, uh, has two shutouts in a season for the first time since 1990. That's how long ago since the Bills have had two shutouts in a season, and they've got two already in the first four weeks of the year. So this is clearly a defense that is uh, one of the top, if not the top, in the NFL, and it was a big reason why they were able to get the win. How about this game, Buffalo, Kansas City next week Sunday Night Football? The Chiefs, a field goal favorite at home. 
Well, you, like myself, Tim, we are fantasy football guys, and I happen to have my two quarterbacks in the two of the leagues I'm playing this year are going against each other on Sunday football in Josh Allen and obviously Pat Mahomes. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, again, one of those games where strengths, right, when you're talking about a Kansas City offense going up against a Buffalo defense, that's going to be probably the more intriguing parts of this football game. Uh, obviously, it's too early to even have a prediction on this, but I do know that I think there's going to be some points scored despite the fact that uh, the Bills' defense is so formidable. The Chiefs' defense, not so much, right? I mean, the Chiefs' defense is not exactly, you know, some uh, stalwart defense. It's not, it's not the 85 Chicago Bears by any stretch of the imagination. But, uh, you know, in a game like this where they're playing at home, maybe maybe they muster up some ways to stop the Buffalo Bills. But if they don't, I still I see this, as, uh, you know, both teams in the 30 types of football games. And we'll see what happens as far as uh, the final score. The Dallas Cowboys 3-1 and one after a 36-28 win over Carolina at home, a game that they were down a point at the half, just took over the football game in the third quarter, outscoring Carolina 20 to nothing. Dak Prescott, four touchdowns. Zeke Elliott, back-to-back great weeks for Zeke. He had 143 yards on the, on the ground today. And they're healthy, Chris, and they look good. Dallas, uh, impressive so far this year. No doubt about it, right, Two Tim and the Cowboys. Talk about on a running game. They they were absolutely formidable, rolling up 245 yards on the ground. That wasn't all Zeke Elliott, but it was, it was a big part of him. As, uh, he had 20 carries for 43 and a couple of touchdowns in this game as well, too. Dak Prescott throws four TD passes on the way. And, and by the way, this is what at the time was the number one defense in the NFL in the Carolina Panthers. Carolina, of course, one of the surprise teams early on the season being undefeated going into this matchup and Sam Darnold of course all the talk going from him going from the Jets over to Carolina and uh, you know kind of the rebirth he about pre-game of this matchup we talked about on uh, Fox NFL Sunday today about that and uh, look this is, this is a Panther team obviously in their first full game without injured star running back Christian McCaffrey uh, Darnold ended up, ended up uh, kind of picking up the slack I guess you could say two rushing touchdowns in this game so he's uh, the first NFL quarterback with at least five TDs on the ground in his first four games. So that's one more aspect of Arnold's game that, that Panther fans can be excited about. That being said, they end up going on the road to uh, Big D and taking the L and uh, sit at 3-1. and one. But uh, not, not exactly one of those deals, Tim, where Panther fans and the Panthers themselves are really you know, uh, just distraught over. I think it was just a situation where they ran into a quality football team Got, got boat raced a little bit and were able to you know still put 28 points and end up taking the loss. Treated to a nice Sunday night matchup tonight. Tom Brady, uh, no touchdown passes, Chris, but it, he was able to grab the ball when it counted in the fourth quarter, lead him to that game-winning field goal drive, 1917. He goes back home and knocks out Bill Belichick in a game that I think Bill had his number, right, Chris, for this whole game, but yet... He had the ball when it counted, and he puts another win on the board for Mr. Tom Brady. 19-17, Bucks 3-1. Yeah, what are we used to with Tom Brady, right? We're used to him engineering fourth-quarter drives to win football games. And uh, and it, it's, it just happened that way tonight as well, too, as he beats the team that he led to six Lombardi trophies in nine years that he went to the Super Bowl. And, uh, look, Ronald Jones added an eight-yard scoring run, and uh, 
the defending super look the defending super bowl champions they've got pieces all over the place defensively they played pretty well this was a game that was uh you know absolutely super low scoring throughout most of the game then there was that 16 point outburst him in the in the fourth quarter between these two teams <laughs> where obviously you had the uh the 48 yard winning field goal that the buccaneers got from ryan stuck up uh, late in the fourth quarter of course it looked like maybe Mac Jones and, and look, Mac Jones had a monster game. Mac Jones had 19 consecutive or was it 18 or 19 consecutive uh, completions in this football game. He was not bad at all. Mac Jones looked really good, and this is going to be one of those deals, Tim, where Patriot fans and the Patriots are going to be thinking to themselves, you know what? We lost the football game tonight to a quality football team in Tampa Bay, but we have our guy. We have Mac Jones. We like have we we like that we drafted him. We like this piece to the puzzle here, and we think he's going to be. Look, we're, let's not get crazy and start talking about him like he's a Hall of Famer or that he's that he's even close to being a Tom Brady. But the the Patriots organization, I'm sure, and Pat's nation, period, is happy to have him. He had a solid game. You mentioned Brady, of course, no TD passes, but he did throw for 270. Uh, had had a decent game, and. Uh, and the the Patriots, or excuse me, uh, Buccaneers were able to get uh, key running running plays in key spots. You know, obviously the Leonard Fournette touchdown there in the second half was big for them as well too. This was a game where I kind of went the way I expected it to. I fortunately for me, I had the Buccaneers. I gave the seven points, so they ended up winning the football game, not covering. But I, this is what I expected. I expected that you know, look, Bill Belichick is a coach. He's on the sidelines. He can only do so much, right? He's the coach. Tom Brady has a direct impact on the game. He is a player in the game. And I know I'm being Captain Obvious when I point this out, that Belichick is a coach and Brady is a player. But, I, you know, it's 100% relevant in this situation because you're talking about a quarterback that was out there and, you know, again, engineered late, you know, late fourth quarter drives where it gave them a chance to win and was a big part of it. And then, of course, you had all the pop and circumstance of Tom back to New England and uh, you had that uh, almost Congo line, right, after the game, Tim, where <laughs> it seemed like every player of the Patriots was, uh, you know, going up to Brady and either congratulating him or, or, uh, or saying hi to him and getting a chance to catch up with him. That was kind of cool. And uh, it was kind of cool, too, to look up the stands and see the fans respectful. And, uh, and you had a lot of Tom Brady jerseys up there. Let's face it. I mean, I, 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 mean, I got to say it, Tim, and, and, and I don't know if you agree or not. This is a situation where I don't care if he wins two more Super Bowls in Tampa Bay. For, for me, Tom Brady's always going to be a Patriot. He'll forever be a Patriot. He's always be linked to New England when it comes to when it comes to football in the NFL. And that's not ever going to change. And so I think that was that was the, kind of the sentiment I got from the whole Brady going back to New England type thing. And 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 for me, with for Belichick for Belichick side of thing, I'm I'm with Billich. I'm like it's. Your coaching, I mean, yes. Is it is it is it a bigger deal because your coach is the quarterback? Yeah. Is it a bigger deal because it's the greatest quarterback of all time? Yeah. But at the end of the day, for Bill, for the way you know, you know how Billichek is, the way he approaches things. For him, it's just like, oh yeah, I was preparing to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I wasn't preparing to beat Tom Brady, right? I was preparing to play the Bucks. I wasn't preparing to play. Tom Brady, you know, you know what I'm talking about when it comes to Belichick. That's his whole mindset, you know. Yeah. And I guarantee, probably two minutes after that game, he's thinking about whoever they're playing next week. So that's so to me that I thought it was much more important to Tom Brady 
than it was to Bill Belichick as far as a return. And uh, that kind of cool to kind of see the sentiment and kind of see how it all went down there in Foxborough between these two teams and, and in a regular season game as well, too. Next game, I know you have something to speak on on this one. Uh, NFC North matchup in Chicago, the Bears and the Lions. So a week after the Lions seemingly had their first victory taken away from them from a missed a missed a delay of game, which then set up a 66-yard NFL-breaking field goal to take a win right out of their hands. The Lions head to Soldier Field, take on rookie quarterback Josh Fields, but it was it was the Montgomery show, 106 yards, two touchdowns, and the Bears knock off the Lions 24-14. Chris, your team is 0-4. and four. My, what a difference a week, a week makes, and I'm not talking about the Lions, Tim. I'm talking about the Chicago Bears, obviously brushing off that nightmarish first start for Justin Fields a week ago where the Cleveland Browns just had their way defensively, and it seemed like it was sack after sack after sack against Fields and just flowing through that Chicago Bears offensive line. Not the case today in Chicago as the Bears, look, look Justin Fields and the Bears were much better form coming off that brutal loss to Cleveland last week. They scored touchdowns in their first two possessions up over 370 yards after being held by the Browns to 47, uh, which was the ninth lowest total in league hit against them. So, you know, you, you talked with, about Justin Fields. He said he saw Russell Wilson posted a tweet this past week talking about how he loves adversity, and he kind of took that to heart. And Justin Fields looked way more comfortable out there. He ends up, uh, look, they have a huge game. He ends up throwing for a little over 200 yards. And uh, you mentioned it was Montgomery you know, who was the big-time star here on the ground uh, from a touchdown standpoint. Unfortunately for the Bears, though, he was injured. Don't know exactly how serious it's a big deal or not. But uh, he goes down. But the Bears were, were handily in charge of this football game the entire time. You had the Jared Goff touchdown pass late in the game that kind of got within, uh, you know, within a, within a touchdown. But I'm a Detroit Lions fan and someone who follows the team close. I understood that. This wasn't going to be any type of uh, Matthew Stafford miracle comeback victory for Detroit. It is just an undermanned team that does not have any, you know, real, in my in my humble opinion, Tim, they don't have any wide receivers that are NFL caliber. They don't have any cornerbacks now that, that Jeff Okuda is injured. They don't have any defensive backs that are big-time NFL players. They have very few linebackers or defensive linemen. They have a couple defensive linemen that are quality, but... The point being is that they're just undermanned, and it is going to be a rough going this season for the Lions. They're sitting at 0-4, and I and look, I looked at the schedule, Tim. It doesn't look very, it doesn't look very promising to say the least across the board for Detroit as far as getting a victory. Now they look, I would expect and I would hope as a Lions fan that they do end up one or two victories during the season, but it's going to be tough sledding to say the least to see if they can do that. Two teams without a win still. Your Lions, Jacksonville Jaguars. So the race for 0-17 and 17 begins. And you get Minnesota next week on the road. Eight-point underdogs. And another team we get, right, that is going to be upset because of what transpired this week. And I'm talking about, of course, the Cleveland Browns-Minnesota game this week where the Vikings were held to just one touchdown, right, after coming off a, I would say, somewhat surprising win against the Seahawks last week. So they're kind of a jack team right now, particularly offensively, when you think about the Minnesota Vikings. But I have zero confidence 
whatsoever that the Lions are going to have any type of game plan from Dan Campbell or, you know, the, the uh, offensive or defensive staff going into the matchup. And I think that uh, this is going to be exactly the type of situation that took place this week with the Chicago Bears where they were just, you know, thoroughly upset by what happened last week. And Minnesota, the Minnesota Vikings will just handle their business and take out the Lions again next week as well, too. We come back from our final timeout. More NFL Week 4, including that undefeated Arizona Cardinal team. We'll break down that game with the L.A. Rams this afternoon. Aaron Rodgers at home welcoming in Big Ben. Battle of the old veteran quarterbacks as Aaron Rodgers came out ahead of this one. And what's wrong with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens? Another impressive victory as they move to 3-1 and one on the year. We'll break all those down. Get you a sneak peek at some of the games next week as well. It's Heat Wave Sports on a super Sunday night. Fox Sports Radio. Final segment, Heat Wave Sports Super Sunday night. We're with you every Saturday and Sunday at 10 o'clock. Except for next week and taking the weekend off. So we're back on it on the 16th. Back for Heat Wave Sports both days. We'll catch you up with, of course, UNLV football on the 16th. Maybe the Aces are in the WNBA Finals. We'll talk about that. Baseball playoffs and week six of the National Football League. Tim Unglesby, Chris Wynn, as we're running down week four action, we'll jump back into it where this afternoon, Mr. Chris Wynn, the Seattle Seahawks. Again, another situation where I just never saw Seattle losing three games in a row, Chris, and they don't. They head to Frisco and pull out a 28-21 win over the San Francisco 49ers who have now lost in back-to-back weeks. Games they probably should have won. We remember last Sunday night against Green Bay, leaving too much time for Aaron Rodgers. And today, just a lot of mistakes by the Niners. They lose Garoppolo to an injury. Trey Lance not able to move the ball at that point. They have a, a just a mash crew of running backs right now in San Francisco. And it was really a, just a, a game where Seattle came out on top. Chris, they were, they were able to to get the last one up on, on 49ers, 28-21. Both teams 2-2 two and two there in the NFC West. Yeah, this was textbook Russell Wilson, Rob, because it was a scenario where he had a rough start, right? They went three and out on their first five drives of the game, and they appeared to be in danger of having their first three-game losing streak in the season. Uh, in the nine seasons that they had Russell Wilson at quarterback, wasn't the case as he overcame the rough opening and uh, throws for two touchdowns. And then he runs for a third as well, too, in the Seahawks. They end up rebounding from those back-to-back losses. And uh, Pete Carroll talked about it after the game. He talked about how spectacular Russell Wilson was. And, look, he mentioned the circumstances early on. They were deal and how he stayed the course, stayed with it, and uh, and basically re- he used the word recapture a chance to win this game when you wouldn't think there was any way that possible given that uh, the Niners you know, defensively are, are, are usually pretty formidable, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Wilson ends up uh, recovering. And he won for, by the way, he won for the hundredth time started in the regular season in his first 10 seasons. Only one other quarterback has done him, Peyton Manning, the only other quarterback to do that in his first 10 years. So that kind of gives you a scope of where Russell Wilson should be thought among uh, you know the the uh, as far as the totem pole is considered with quarterbacks and uh, look they did they did it you know Wilson had that you know 12 yard touchdown pass to DK Metcalf late in the first half and uh, 
I had one to Swain as well as uh, and uh, so uh, well to, uh, to to spread around a little bit. But they weren't getting like huge games on the ground. You had the Alex Collins, you know, a 14-yard touchdown run. But Chris Carson's been really good for the Seahawks this year. It was pretty much a non-factor in this football game. I think he had like 12 rushes for just under 40 yards or something like that. So this wasn't type of, any type of deal where it was, you know, uh, you know, a, a a typical Seattle type win, right? Where they have uh, the running backs that are clicking along with 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 Russell Wilson spraying things around the wide receiver. It was more of a uh, of an aerial uh, uh, passing game for Seattle and, uh, and, and a defensive game for the Seahawks, and they end up even their record up at 2-2. Two two. Talked about Aaron Rodgers a little bit. He, back in Lambeau, taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Packers go off a six-point favorite. They win by 10, 27-17. A-Rod, 248, two touchdowns. But I think the story, though, that we were talk about it and I guess we can look at both sides of it Chris the Packers now three and one after that horrible week one loss but the Steelers one and three and it was almost the situation of week by week well this is Steelers right they're, they're going to flip that switch and they're going to turn it on and, and maybe it was caliber of competition I don't know uh, you know when you look at finding a way to beat Buffalo in week one huge win for for Pittsburgh to follow it up in week two with laying an egg against the Raiders, but maybe it's the Raiders, right? So I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Then in week three, the Bengals are able to knock them out. Well, the Bengals are three and one, Chris. Now the Packers take them out. They're one and three. Packers are three and one as well. Is it is it the Steelers are done, or is it just that the teams they're playing have just been a little bit better than them? I think that's the second the second thing is probably the right is the right choice because. It seems to me like Packer team that flipped the switch after week one, right? It was mm-hmm. just kind of a, an abomination in week one, and then all of a sudden we started to see what the you know what the Green Bay Packers are really going to be about. I'll, I watched a lot of this game, and to me it was a much it was so much of it was about the uh, reemergence of the the Cobb and Aaron Rodgers combo, right? I mean, he throws two touchdowns to his receiver that was there for you know a number of years, and now is back with the team and uh, Aaron Rodgers also ran for another touchdown as well too. Uh, look, it was, it was an amped up Lambeau field crowd and it, that that's a tough spot for any team much in, in much less the, the, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers as well too there. So uh, through the first three games, Cobb has four catches for 55 yards. And, and, and of course today he can just five passes for 70 yards in one game. So maybe they're just starting to feel more comfortable again, that combination there for the Packers. We know what they can do on the ground as well, too, with the running with the running game that they have, and uh, and this is despite the fact that uh, you know the, the 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 they had a list of uh, they had a mass unit of guys from the Packers that weren't playing this game. You had you know the linebacker Barnes was out, offensive lineman and Jenkins and Kevin King as well as uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling was out as well too. Uh, obviously they've been missing, they've been missing uh, you know Dave Bakhtiari entire season. And they haven't had uh, Zadarius Smith either since the opening week. So this is it's a Packer team that's injured, but you still have to be impressed with them going out and getting the 10-point win against the Steelers this uh, uh, earlier today. When they released the strength of schedule rankings, Pittsburgh had the toughest rated schedule this season. Baltimore had number two. The schedule, again, we already know it's going to be tough. They do go back home. But now they welcome in a Denver team, Chris, that has played well this year. 
and they are a it's a, I see a pick them minus one a lot of places for the Steelers so it doesn't get any easier now you have a Denver Denver team coming in with a really good defense to take on Pittsburgh we'll have to see what the status of Teddy Bridgewater is he was knocked out of today's game so that changes things dramatically I think at the quarterback position depending on who's playing for the Broncos but opening line is Pittsburgh sitting at about a point. Yeah, and this is a Broncos team. We don't know what the situation is going to be a quarterback, right? Because uh, Teddy Bridgewater is injured. I don't know what his status is yet. So Drew Locke had to come into that football game. So the Broncos, again, another one of those teams that's going to be up right, coming off a loss to the Ravens in which uh, they were pretty much – look, they, they were dominating that game. I, I know it wasn't like a completely ridiculous dominating score, but – this is a, a Broncos team that is going to absolutely rely on defense. And so I think that uh, it's, it's going to be one of those kind of, you know, uh, uh, grind it out type of football games. You know, Steelers, I mean, which, which wouldn't be, shouldn't be any surprise, right, with the Broncos and Steelers getting together. But uh, even more so because of uh, the situation with the quarterback situation given the Denver Broncos right now. And you said it, Denver dominated by the Ravens today, 23-7. Baltimore now 3-1. and one. Jackson can't throw, Chris, 316 through the air. Nice touchdown to Hollywood Brown. They were able to run the ball effectively, gaining over 100 yards again for the 43rd straight time that the Ravens have been able to do that. Latavius Murphy put up most of those with 60 on the ground and just an all-around solid effort by the Ravens. They shut down Denver offensively. And it didn't matter who the quarterback was, Chris. There was no way Denver was winning this game as far as the Raven team was, was looking at it. And you got to be impressed with Marquise Brown bouncing back, right? You know, because he catches that Jackson 49-yard TD pass one week after he dropped, you know, those three passes, uh, those three long bombs that were that were key. You know, obviously the Ravens won the game, but it was, uh, you know, if, 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 if Baltimore would have went down to Detroit, uh, it would have been – fairly clear who the person would have uh who would have been laid on as far as uh you know the baltimore raven who was probably the most reason for it so uh yeah jackson missing what two practices last week with his sore back and it didn't really look like it affected him all today i mean he, he, he talked about it after the game said he felt good and uh even asked the question the media did i look good out there so <laughs> Uh, and although, look, we expect much more on the ground from, from a quarterback like Jackson. He was held at, what, 28 yards rushing. And, uh, but, hey, he threw for over 300 in this game and uh, took what the defense gave him. And, and Vic Fangio talked about that, how, uh, you know, he's a quarterback that, that is someone that can absolutely kind of, kind of feel your defense and see what uh, your weaknesses are on that given day and can take advantage of it. So, um there's only been two times in his four-year NFL career that Jackson's passed for more yards. Once in the regular season where he threw for, I think, 324, and once in the playoffs where he threw for almost 370. So it was a pretty impressive performance for, for Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens getting that uh, win that gives him a 3-1 record. Jackson 33-8 and as a starting quarterback in the NFL. That's very impressive. And really, look at the Raven team, Chris. I'd love to think, hear your thoughts on that. I know my thoughts as a fan, a a tough opening week loss to the Raiders, a game they should have won. They come from behind to win week two in Kansas City, a game they should have lost. Week three, a game they should have won handily. We're winning that game handily and almost lose when, you, when really you look at the Lions coming from behind. And, you know, it's a fourth down, fourth and 18 game. The game's over. They find a way to win that one. 
And then today they they look like the Ravens as they they just destroyed Denver. But just a weird season so far for Baltimore. And now they get Monday night next week, Chris. They get they get the spotlight next Monday night at home against the Colts. Yeah, see, Tim, the way I look at the Ravens so far this year, I kind of look at them like a team navigating their way through the schedule early on, right? I mean, it was obviously we, we know what happened on uh, opening night. It was a, you know, it was a you know, once-in-a-lifetime type of situation where the Raiders, you know, end up getting an overtime win in spectacular fashion. I'm not going to, you know, go nuts if I'm the Ravens or their fans after that type of game. And what have they done since? Well, they, all they do is win ever since then. And I think they've been gradually getting better in certain areas. And, and uh, you know, and that goes from everything from the offense to the defense. And, and you know, and, and oh, by the way, you have Justin Tucker, right, who, who kicks those, you know, NFL record 66-yard field goal last week to win the game. And he ends up this week, he was perfect, you know, with a 40-yarder, 46-yarder, and a 20-yarder in Denver's thin air. So they, they are, uh, I, I got to be honest, I think Baltimore is one of the more balanced teams in the NFL. And I, would, I wouldn't raise any red, red flags for this team so far this year. I think that uh, they are sitting right where I think they expected to be. And I think that uh, they're very comfortable. I think Harbaugh and company are very comfortable with what the, uh, Raven, with the Ravens situation is right now as they sit. Game for me, besides watching that one, I was, I was flipping back to the Ram-Cardinal game. I was really interested in this one. The Rams coming off a big, big win the previous week over Tom Brady and the Bucks. They bring in the, the high-flying Cardinals, Chris, who a lot of people thought maybe the schedule was the benefit of a 3-0 star. Well, after a tough first quarter, the Rams looked like they were establishing themselves. Kyler Murray went crazy there in the second quarter and third quarter on their way to a 37-20 division win on the road. A huge win for for Phoenix fans as they are 4-0 and zero, sitting atop that division. And, and Murray wasn't, I wouldn't say Murray was spectacular as far as yardage-wise. It wasn't the gaudy 400-yard games, Chris, but he led the offense there and got them where they needed to be. It was the rushing attack. I was very, very surprised with Edmonds just owning that, that Ram defense, which generally is pretty solid. Just didn't have it today. Yeah, with the Cardinals, I mean, especially you talked about the running game. James Conner was pretty much, you know, it was uh, was a disappearing act for the first game and a half, two games of the season. Now all of a sudden, you just come on like gangbusters. Of course, he had, you know, the uh, the two touchdown runs in this football game, and you had some other guys. You know, you got obviously AJ Green is 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 come, it just came over from Cincinnati, and he had a, you know a touchdown in the first quarter. But you had Max Williams with a touchdown in uh, in this game in the second quarter. So they end up compiling 37 points. But it wasn't you said it. It wasn't like Kyler Murray was out there throwing you know four touchdown passes in this win. He was very productive though and efficient in between you know in between the 20s, right? From when it came mm-hmm. to you know uh, in, in the meat of the field, he was the guy that was getting him up and down the field. And of course, you know you get the short touchdown runs or you get the you know the short points or you get a bunch of field goals too. Matt Prater had a solid day as well too. So, um, I, but, but me, uh, you know, I was, I was surprised. I thought that the Rams defensively uh, were, were absolutely not themselves in this football game. And Matthew Stafford, look, he's been getting lauded left and right, you know, for the past three, four weeks. They're talking about it being an MVP candidate. And look, he had a decent game, okay? He threw for almost 300 yards. A couple of touchdowns. I, I wouldn't necessarily blame this game on Matthew Stafford, but I think it, it, we we do also have to take a step back and say, like, wait a minute, you know, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be. He's not going to go out there and just set the world on fire every single game. And uh, 
and this is a tough interdivision game, right? I mean, this is, a, this is the best division in football, and these teams are going to be going at it all season long, and it's going to be back and forth, and and after what? After two weeks, maybe even three weeks, Tim, right? Everyone was just anointing the L.A. Rams like they're going to come out of the NFC, right? It was the L.A. Rams and everybody else, okay? Maybe you weren't doing that, and maybe some of us weren't doing that, but there was a lot of people that were doing that, right? Saying that the Rams are the team to beat and that they are just killing it right now. And uh, look, a lot of it was, was justified. But uh, then you see a game like this and you see an, a tough game between two quality teams and you see Arizona come out on top like they did by 17, you know, despite the fact that they were down 10-7 after the end of, after the, end of the first quarter. And uh, you know, you, you start to understand that this is a long season and uh, we're only four games in and these teams are going to be going tooth and nail in the NFC West all year long. And just like we did the, the Lion Watch for wins, let's do the Arizona Cardinal Watch for losses. Where will the first loss come for Arizona if there is one? Week 5, they're back home against the San Francisco 49ers, so another divisional matchup, Chris. And the cards are four four and a half point favorites over the Niners. Well, I got, I got to tell you, I mean, I look at their schedule. There's, there's absolutely a couple potential losses. They could absolutely go to Cleveland and lose that game. They could absolutely lose to the Packers at home uh, on the 28th of September. They could absolutely lose in San Francisco the following week. And they could absolutely lose in Seattle two weeks after that. So there's that. Look, look, the Cardinals, I, I like them, okay, and – I, and I, I think I told you this last time I was on the show. I think, I, look, I, did, I was not a believer in Kyler Murray. I thought he'd be playing center field for the Oakland A's in like four years. I didn't think he was going to be an NFL franchise quarterback. I was wrong, okay? As of right now, I was wrong. The guy is actually absolutely spectacular. So the Cardinals are absolutely formidable. But am I going to sit here and say, well, you know, I can't find a loss in the next, uh, you know, six, seven weeks? Absolutely not because there are all kinds of landmines as I take a look at that, Tim across that schedule coming up. The New York Jets get their first win of the year, Chris. They're no longer one of the winless, 27-24 at home over Tennessee. And, yes, it was an overtime game. And, yes, Derrick Henry had 157 yards on the ground, but they were missing Julio Jones. They were missing A.J. Brown. I don't even know who else they were missing, but they did not have the receivers there. And I'd say this was Tennessee's worst game of the year, and they've looked very lethargic through four weeks of the season, had to come from behind to get this overtime, can't get the job done. They gave a weak Jet team their first win, a bad loss for Tennessee, hey, and a good win for the Jets. Well, it was a bad loss particularly, Tim, because, you know, the Jets took the lead in, in the extra period, but they couldn't seal it even though they were on the one-yard line, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, if you're the Jets, you got to win it there. But, but still, you know, look, Ryan Tannehill playing without both Julio Jones and A.J. Brown, uh, that's that's a tough go. I don't, I don't care who you're playing in the NFL. If you're playing a NFL team, it's going to be tough to not have those types of weapons not at your disposal. Uh, and despite the fact, you know, the Titans were able to march down the field with the help of two fourth down conversions in that overtime, and of course, uh, be and have a chance. So, uh, you know, this was a Jets team. We saw some solid numbers, obviously, from Zach Wilson, and it was funny because after the game, you saw Robert Sala. Yeah, I turned to uh, to Zach Wilson and was like, hey, you having fun yet? Talking to the rookie quarterback and just kind of laughing at him. Uh, it was a lighthearted day for the Jets. Yes, they got their first win, but uh, it, the wins are going to be few and far between this season, Tim, right? I mean, it was uh, 
look, it was the, you know they fought they fought hard and it was an overtime game and they end up getting the W uh, against a shorthanded Titans team and you get the you know you get the Amendola you know field goal and then you get Randy Bullock missing wide left on a, a tying one with 15 seconds left, uh, which would have tied the game and probably it probably means it would have ended in a tie. But uh, he missed it for the Titans, and of course uh, the Jets get the win. So people in New York are rejoicing. It may be a short time because both teams won, right, Tim, in New York, but they are rejoicing at least for a little bit. Let's kind of move around the league here and wrap week four up in Miami. I think if you're a Dolphin fan, you're definitely disappointed in the Dolphins start through the first quarter of the year. 27-17, they allow Indianapolis to come into town and get that win. And Jacoby Brissett, not not the answer for the missing Tua Tagliavoe right now. Dolphins uh, just, I don't know what to say, Chris. They can't run the ball, not getting good quarterback play, and now the defense was very suspect in the second half here as Carson Wentz and Jonathan Taylor were, were able to kind of pick them apart here in getting their first win of the year. And it's kind of surprising, right, to be honest with you, Tim, because Carson Wentz, before this game today, the last seven times he's been in a football game, he's been on the losing end, all right? The last four appearances with the Eagles last year, he lost all those. His first three appearances with the Colts this year, all losses. And, oh, by the way, yeah, Wentz has, you know, a couple of bum sprained ankles that he's playing on, yet he still manages to throw a pair of touchdown passes to Mo Alley-Cox, Jonathan Taylor, and... And, uh, and, and to, to Moe Cox. And then Jonathan Taylor, of course, has, you know, over a 100-yard game, gets a touchdown. And, uh, you know, this is – and, look, Frank Rock talked about it. He knows, he knows that the Dolphins are supposed to be a good football team. So he gave him credit after that game. But you've got a, an injured quarterback like that, and he goes out there and goes 24 for 32 for 228 uh, for Indianapolis and, uh, and, and, and keeps the Colts from – having their first 0-4 start since in 10 years, since 2011. It was, uh, look, it was, it, was, it was pretty impressive. I mean, they, they spent, that defense spent most of the day, Tim, just, just frustrating Jacoby Brissett. I mean, Jacoby Brissett couldn't do anything out there. And, uh, and you know, I mentioned, of course, it's the first 2D, TD game for Allie Cox, who, you know, who's, he's, he's only got, I think he's got four touchdowns in, in his entire NFL career going into this game. So he pretty much doubled that in one game. And uh, this is a Dolphins team three straight now, right? And uh, mm -hmm. it's largely because their offense couldn't do much of anything until it's too late. They, they uh, you know, they try to, you know, get things going late in the ballgame and just aren't able to do it. And so, uh, you know, they end up uh, only 203 yards, I think, uh, total as far as, uh, as, far as uh, what they were able to do offensively. So that's not going to get it done if you're the Miami Dolphins. And in New Orleans, the homecoming wasn't – what New Orleans Saints fans wanted as the Giants forced an overtime and then win in OT 27-21 in the Saints' first game since being displaced because of the, the hurricane situation. Daniel Jones for the Giants. They call him Danny Dimes, Chris. 400 yards, two touchdowns through the air. And the Giants get their first win of the year in a game they had to come from behind to do it. But they get it done. Nice win for the Giants. Uh, this was a surprise to me, to be quite honest with you. I didn't expect this, especially out of Daniel Jones. Jones out there throwing for over 400, right, Tim? I mean, just going out there, just lighting it up. And uh, despite the fact this game went to overtime, right? It wasn't, look, it went mm -hmm. to overtime, and they needed a Saquon Bar Barkley touchdown in OT to get the victory. So uh, Jones talked about this, and he mentioned how they've shown, you know, they've shown glimpses 
of what we can be as an offense throughout these first four games. Let's be straight about it, though, right, Tim? We expected more offensively out of this team. When you saw the acquisitions that they had, when you saw, obviously, Saquon Barkley coming back from the injury and being the guy that we expected him to be, uh, I'm impressed that they went into this game with a sense of urgency, right, that they knew that from an offensive standpoint they needed to flex their muscles a little bit. And so, you know, and you mentioned, of course, the Saints playing, you know, first time since uh, Hurricane Ida struck back on August 29th. And they led this game, what, 21-10? In mm-hmm. the fourth quarter, before Jones, you know, finds Barkley uncovered along that uh, left sideline for a 54-yard touchdown pass that essentially just ignited the Giants' comeback. So uh, you get the two-point conversion that makes it a three-point game, and then uh, Graham Gano, of course, ties it up with that 48-yarder. So the, the, the Giants they clawed their way back, and then over time they find a way to get it done. But uh, this is a Giants team that we expect more offensively, and I would expect that if, if they're able to build on a win like this. They should be able to build on it and get better offensively. And we'll get one more in before we take on out of here. You kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. The Cleveland Browns go to Minnesota, get a 14-7 win. So, uh, you know, the week before, Minnesota's putting up 30-plus on Seattle in that same stadium. This week, the Brown and that stout defense comes in, and it's a very low-scoring, boring game if you're not into the defensive side of it. Just three-point score total. Mr. Win in the second half, 14-7. Brownies win it. They're three and one. This was a uh, indication of what Cleveland brings to the table from a defensive standpoint, right? Able to uh, to hold Minnesota to seven points after having that, you know, like I said, mentioned before, impressive performance against the Seahawks. But when it came came to the Browns offensively, look, Baker Mayfield didn't do a whole lot, right? He had, uh, I think, he had just over 150 yards passing, no touchdowns, no picks, which I guess is good. And, uh, but his passer rating was under 60. This was all about the running game, right? And we expect that. This is the Browns. This is going to be their bread and butter on offense. It's going to be Nick Chubb. It's going to be Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt gets a touchdown there. Um, uh, Nick Chubb had, both, both these guys, you know, had solid rushing numbers, but their average, they, they both rushed for under five yards of carry. So it wasn't like they were both great either. You had one big play for Kareem Hunt that went for 33 yards, but, uh, other than that, it wasn't uh, it, w- it wasn't much to say to say the least. Um, and I'm because I'm looking through the stats, I don't even see anybody else scored a touchdown. So I, I so apparently the, the Browns also had a defensive touchdown in this game too, or a special teams play in which they had a touchdown. So um, it, yeah, one of those games where you kind of expected Cleveland from a defensive standpoint was going to be fine, but uh, Minnesota just uh, again is is probably the most Jekyll and Hyde team in football, Tim. You just do not know from week to week. This team could beat, you know, one of the best teams in football one week, and then the next week they could, you know, lose to a quality team like the Browns, right? And then the next week they could lose to the Lions. So, I mean, this is, this is the way I feel about the Minnesota Vikings. And, uh, and we'll see what team shows up coming up in week five in uh, just a matter of days. It was actually a Kareem Hunt touchdown. They, they went for two. Chris got the two-point conversion. They gave them the eight points and they kicked two field goals. So that's how they got to the weird way to get okay, to 14. Okay, so they had two field goals then, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. 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 Okay. Dalvin Cook, ineffective in this game as well. I think that's, you know, the, the Cleveland defense is going to, that's going to be the key this year for the Browns. And, and when you have games that Baker Mayfield doesn't perform in, when you only allow 255 yards of total offense to your opponent, so no 200 yards, barely 200 yards uh, passing for Cousins and then, 
they only put up a measly 65 on the ground. So the Browns 3-1, and one, the Bengals 3-1, and one, the Ravens 3-1, and one, all in that north. They're going to give you a run for the NFC West's best division right now as we move into week five of the NFL after tomorrow night's game. Raiders, Chargers on ESPN. The Raiders looking to stay undefeated. Can they do it? Both Chris and I think it's the Chargers that will come out on top tomorrow, but we're going to enjoy the game as well. Chris, one more time. As we always appreciate you coming on the show, where can we find you on that there social media? Always great to join yourself, Tim, Tommy, and the Heatwave Sports crew on a weekend. You can find me at Twitter at Christian Wynn. You can also find me at Facebook at Christian W. Wynn, and also on Instagram as well to CWIN77 and across the dial on the radio waves here in Las Vegas and talking sports as much as I can. I'm a junkie, Tim, like you. And uh, and yes, next weekend, if, uh, if, if the... Las Vegas Aces are still in the playoffs, sir. I will be at the game down there at the Michelob Ultra Arena. Chris, always a pleasure, my friend. Have a good week. You too as well, Tim. All right, take care. Yeah. For Chris Wynn, for Brian, excellent job, Brian. Show one in the books with the Heat Wave Sports crew. We appreciate it. We look forward to uh, working with you here in the future. I'm Tim Unglesby for Tommy Barton, who had the night off. We'll talk to you in two weeks' time as we're off next week. So the 16th, we're back at it, Heat Wave Sports. Right here only on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas. That's 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Have a great two weeks. We'll talk to you then. Good night.